Our text for today comes to the second chapter of, of Matthew's gospel. I'll begin with the first verse and, and following. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned and dreamed not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in print that comes to us down, echoing down from 2,000 years ago. And sometimes we're, we're prone to, to look at stories and, and words written years and decades and millennia ago and, and just discount them, sweep them out like the, the dust in the house. Lord, help us to understand that, that these words are as relevant today as they were when Matthew first wrote them. Unpack the truths in your word, Lord, that they might become guidelines in, in our lives in this year and, and forever. In your name we do pray it. Amen and, and amen. I suspect that if you're out shopping around now, there'll be a dramatic change in what you see this weekend and what you saw last weekend. Because I think you'd be hard-pressed to find to find any vestiges of, of Christmas still visible in most stores on December the 31st. I say that because I believe society these days reflects too much of the spirit of the world and not enough of the spirit of the creator 
of the world. On this last weekend in 2023, society is telling us that the secular winter holiday is, is over. But on this first weekend after the celebration of the birth of our Savior, the church is saying to us, wait a minute, there's more to the story. Friends, I'm praying that today you'll let the, the white candle now burning in the, in the middle of the Advent wreath remind you that the sentimentality associated with the birth of Jesus must give way to the reality of his life. I'm praying today that you will see in the drooping flowers a reminder of the ongoing struggle between for power and control that began in the Garden of Eden and resurfaced in Bethlehem. I'm praying too that as I speak to you this morning that, that you'll identify with either Herod or the Magi, the principal characters in the passage from Matthew's Gospel I just read. That you'll find yourself in one or the other because you're surely there. You're surely there on this first and last weekend in the church's Christmas season. I pray that for you. But let's get started with some thoughts about, about Herod. Herod was the king who ruled the, the region of Judea from 37 B.C. until several years after the birth of Jesus. Thus, he ruled both Jerusalem and Bethlehem. You need to understand that, that Herod was a shrewd politician. He was known widely for his, for his cruelty and his suspicious nature. And thus, Herod was literally hated by his subjects, so much so that he, that he took extreme measures to protect himself from them. How extreme? Well, in an effort to maintain his power and perpetuate his control, Herod built a huge mountain in a flat, barren area some eight miles southeast of Jerusalem. And atop this man-made mountain, Herod had a fortress constructed, and within that fortress he had a lavish palace built for himself. The whole complex, as you might imagine, was named after Herod. It was called the Herodium. The vestiges of it are still there as you travel about the Holy Land now. In all likelihood, the Magi would have had to come to this mountain to meet with Herod. His guards would have watched their entourage as it traveled the final miles and, and as it made it way up that, the steep slope to reach the gates of his fortress. Once inside, the wise men from the east asked Herod a simple question. They asked very straightforward, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we can't begin to appreciate how this question caught Herod off guard. See, Herod, Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. He'd been king of the Jews for a long time, and, and he had never allowed any potential claimant to his throne to live very long. And that included his wife and two of his sons that he murdered. And the Magi learned of the, of the prophecy foretelling Christ's birth to, to be in Bethlehem. They departed to continue their search. But as they were leaving the Herodium, Herod was already plotting the murder of this so-called king of the Jews. In a dream, the Magi were made aware of Herod's sinister motives. 
And so after offering their gifts to the baby Jesus, they resolved not to tell Herod the exact location of the child. The thing about that location is that the location was so close to where Herod was. Herod's in the Herodium. He's atop this man-made mountain. The baby Jesus is born so close to where Herod was in power that on a clear day, if Herod had gone up to the top of the tower in that fortress, he could have seen in the distance the ridge on which stood the little town of Bethlehem. Herod was infuriated when he learned that the wise men had, had tricked him, so much so that, that he took a blanket approach to, to eliminating this potential threat to his throne. He ordered that all the baby boys, two years old and younger, that lived in and around Bethlehem, that all of them be murdered. Now, what are we to glean from this portion of today's text? Well, for starters, we need to acknowledge that Herod was a very real person. Real, just as real as you and I are sitting here this morning. And in many ways, Herod is a prime example of the way our world still works today. You see, the lords of this world cannot tolerate the presence of Jesus. And they sure don't want his truth to be heard. Like Herod, they fly into a rage when their power is threatened. And when their power is threatened and in that rage, they resort to using any form of deceit or treachery to keep control, the kind of control from which they, describe, they derive their sense of security. As we all know, Herod is dead now. But in a very real way, Herod lives on. He lives on in you and in me. Herod lives on in us when we try to manipulate a situation to get our own way. Herod lives on in us when we lie and mistreat others. Herod lives on us, lives on in us when we're not forthright in directing others to Jesus. Friends, we need to face up to the Herods of this world. And that begins by facing up to the Herod we see each day when we look in the mirror. Now to the Magi. If you were to travel to the Cathedral of Cologne on the Rhine River in Germany and go inside, you would find a jewel-encrusted shrine purported to contain the remains of the Magi. With that shrine is this description. Having undergone many trials and fatigues for the gospel, the three wise men met at Sequa, Sabatia in Armenia, in 54 AD, to celebrate the feast of Christmas. Thereupon, after the celebration of the Mass, they died. St. Melchior on January 1st, aged 116. St. Belshazzar on January the 6th, aged 112. And St. Gaspar on January the 11th, aged 109. Now, let me point out very quickly that none of that is in the Bible. It's just one of those non-biblical traditions that springs up and folks grab onto. Just like it's not in the Bible that there were three kings. We just hang on to things. 
But I point up and I want to draw this conclusion or this point from it. Where the Magi died and their ages when they died and, and what their names were and, and where they're buried, none of that's really important to us this morning. But here's what's important to us about the Magi. They abandoned their personal agendas to find and worship God's Son. They followed God's star, not their own. And they let the light of Christ break through into their own personal darkness. They came to Bethlehem on camels, bringing their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to the newborn king. And after seeing the light of the world made flesh in Jesus, they left to spend the rest of their days witnessing to that light, to the light of Christ. Now, as we know, the child the wise men worshipped grew to adulthood. And when his ministry was well underway, Jesus told his followers, he said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then later Jesus told his followers this, he said, you are the light of the world. Now, those two verses of Scripture are separated in Scripture, but bring them together, and there's a huge significance in those two statements. Jesus looked at his followers, ordinary folks just like us, he looked at his followers, and he gave them the greatest compliment and the greatest challenge possible when he, in essence, said, you are to be to others what I am to you. Friends, I believe if Jesus was standing here this morning that, that he'd say something like this to you. He would say, you are the light of the world. You are a lantern to guide people along the footpaths of life. You're a lighthouse to warn others of danger. You're a friendly candle burning in the window to point the way home. You are the North Star by which others navigate. You, all of you, are the light of the world. Now, if you listen carefully to what Jesus is saying, you'll notice that Jesus is not inviting you to be a light. Jesus is not, not asking whether or not this is something you want to do. Jesus is saying that as God's baptized sons and daughters, you are already the light of the world, whether or not you realize it. And whether or not you realize it, your light has been shining since you were anointed with oil and marked as Christ's own forever. Your light shines in the way you pay your bills. Your light shines in the way that you order a meal in a restaurant. Your light shines in the way you drive your car on Highway 278. Your light shines in the way you spend your Sundays. You see, your light shines even when you're not aware of it. The question is, how's, how is your light shining? Jesus tells us how it's supposed to be shining. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, before I go any further, I want to take a sidetrack here and make sure that you understand something very important about that verse of Scripture, something often misinterpreted. Brothers and sisters, our good deeds do not save us from an eternity 
apart from Jesus. We are saved by our faith in the good deed that God did for us in the birth, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Any good that we might accomplish on this earth is just a meager offering and thanksgiving for our salvation. We don't earn that. It was a gift to us from God. Now back to the thoughts for this morning about you being a light, whether you're aware of it or not. I wonder, if someone followed you around, what would that person see? If somebody followed you around, what would that person see? Oftentimes I walk around the bluff out there and, and boats are often scooting up and down the May River. And, and have you ever noticed that when boats are going up and down the May River, that they always leave a wake behind them? Well, when you're plying the waters of life, you're leaving a wake behind you too. When you interact with others, you're leaving an impression on them. Either they're feeling agitated or depressed or cheated or, or, they're, or they're feeling better for having been around you. They're feeling more, more hopeful, more encouraged. Maybe, maybe they're feeling a little bit more at peace for having rubbed shoulders with you. Herod left awake. The Magi left awake too. What kind of wake are you leaving? Is it a trail of good deeds that points to your Father in heaven? The scriptures tell us that Jesus went about doing good. But sadly, too often we Christians are content to just go about. Again, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now note, we're to let our light shine through, through good deeds, not so that people will look at us and pat us on the shoulders or, or brag about us. We're to be doing those good deeds so that, so that what? So that people will look to our Father in heaven. That's what they're about. Because you see, friends, in and of ourselves, we have no radiance. We have no light to shine in and of ourselves. We're like the moon. And, and, and just like the sun's rays give the moon its apparent light, the light of Christ should be what people see reflected in and through us. The time, talent, and treasure that we share with others, it's a gift from God. It's not of our own doing. And we should do everything in our power to make sure that the Father in heaven receives any recognition for whatever feeble efforts we might, we might undertake. In the new year before us, society is going to continue to applaud the movers and the shakers who, like Herod, will do almost anything to keep the world's spotlight shining on them. Are you like Herod like that? You always want the spotlight to shine on you. You always want to be the center of attention. You always want people to be patting you on the back. Are you like Herod that way? Or perhaps you're like, like the Magi. The Magi were, were rich and powerful people. But the thing is, they set aside their personal agendas in essence, they extinguished the light that was shining on them. 
in order to bask in the light of someone else. You know the idea that someone would do something good and not want any credit for it? Are you that way? The Magi were. Well, those kind of ideas that, that you don't want to be in the spotlight and you humble yourself to do things for others and you don't want any credit for it. You know, those, those kinds of things don't make much sense to most folks. They surely won't make much sense to society in, 20, in 2024. But then there are, there's a lot that doesn't make sense to society these days. Like still singing Christmas carols in a church on the weekend after Christmas. But friends, here's the thing you need to know and remember every time you come in here. We don't come in here to please the world. We come in here to worship the one who humbled himself to save the world. In my Christmas message, I made this statement. The whole future of Christianity hangs in the balance every day in every place. It hangs on the simple decisions of ordinary folks like you and me. I'll close with a few quick related thoughts. We held lighted candles during our Christmas Eve services. Those candles were all lit from one candle, the Christ light in the middle of the Advent wreaths. That was true whether you worshiped with us here or at the chapel or, or in the cross schools. I hope you didn't miss the symbolism involved in that. Jesus is the light of the world. His light is the source of our light. Symbolic, too, was the darkening of our worship spaces as our candles were lit. I hope you noticed that the darkness did not put out our candles. In fact, our candles put out the darkness. Though we tried, Herod could not put out the light of Christ. Only you and I can do that, my friends. That's why the future of Christianity hangs in the balance every day on decisions made by folks just like you and me. We must not let our lights go out. By God's grace, we've already baptized over 60 folks of all ages in the parish thus far in 2023. And this morning, we're going to baptize three more little ones. And after marking each of these children as a child of God, I'll be giving each one of them a candle lit from the Christ light in the middle of the Advent wreath. And then together as a congregation, we will say to them, we receive you into the fellowship of the church. Confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in the royal priesthood of all his people. Now, fellow children of God, with those words, we'll be inviting these little ones to share with us in the primary work of Jesus' followers. And what is the primary work of Jesus' followers? Is to keep the light of Christ burning brightly. And how do we do that? First, by nurturing our own faith, 
by keeping our own personal lights aglow. See, you can't share what you don't have. And then secondly, by sharing our faith with others and thereby doing our part to dispel the darkness in this little corner of the world. The process is just like we witnessed on Christmas Eve. One candle lights another candle. That candle lights another candle, and then another candle is lit, and soon the, the whole church is aglow. I pray that you'll be glowing with the light of Christ in 2024. And I pray, too, that I'll be sharing that light with others. You have nothing of yourself worth giving. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I pray you share that gift. I pray that you draw closer to the Lord, that your light burns more brightly, and that you reach out in the name of the Lord to touch someone else who doesn't have a lit candle and bring them into that saving relationship that Christ and Christ alone offers. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, we're so often distracted by all kinds of stuff. And our temptation is, as the new year starts is to make resolutions and, and we're going to start everything all over again. And in truth, there are some things we need to start over again. But too often our tendency is to, is to just cast away the things that are old. Sweep them out like, like dead flower petals. Lord, help us to sort the wheat from the chaff, to look back over our years, how few or how many they might be. To let go of those things that are of this world and to hold tightly to those things that are of you. Let that be our foundation for our steps into 2024. So that as we keep our eyes fixed on you, others can keep their eyes fixed on us and see us as a vehicle to guide them to you. Let us be that, that lighthouse that keeps people out of danger. Let us be that candle burning in the window, drawing other people home. Let us be a light that guides the folks along the footpaths of life so that ultimately we find our way to you and others find their way to you. So that ultimately every day becomes like a Christmas Eve with, a with everywhere aglow with the light of Christ. In your name we do pray it, Lord. Amen and amen.